Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and we like to begin our show with a prayer, and we will be praying the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit, Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode, Bishop talks about All Saints Day and All Souls Day, since they're coming up soon in the liturgical calendar. Then it's on to the Hispanic tradition of Dia de los Muertos, and whether or not we should be scared of death. The show wraps up with questions submitted by two of our diocesan priests. And then, as a follow-up to last week's discussion of the parable of the fig tree, it's a dried fig versus fig newton taste test. To catch previous episodes or submit a question for a future show, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop. Thank you again, Bishop, for making some time in your schedule for us. You're welcome, Kyle. I always enjoy being on Redeemer Radio. Well, it's good to have you here, especially today. I think there's a lot to talk about. We have All Souls Day and All Saints Day. Can you explain, maybe to start with, the difference between the two days and why we have these two celebrations in the church? Yes. On November 1st, of course, we celebrate the Solemnity of All Saints. We're basically celebrating all our brothers and sisters in Christ who are living in the joy and glory of heaven. Mm-hmm. So it's a great day of celebration. It's, of course, it's our goal to become saints, to, to live in heaven, to live in that perfect peace and joy with God in the company of the saints. Uh, so it reminds us of our ultimate destination. But it's also an opportunity to you know, celebrate those who are with God and to ask for their intercession. Mm-hmm. They also are kind of like our friends, our brothers and sisters, who are concerned about us, who are still here on on earth as pilgrims. It's a really a wonderful day for the church to, you know, also give thanks to God for the gift of eternal life. And not just canonized saints, but all those that are in heaven. That's right. right. All Saints Day is for all those in heaven, not just the canonized saints. So some literally might be our brothers and sisters. <laughs> That's that we're true. Celebrating. That's true. Parents, uh-huh. brothers and sisters, loved ones who are with God. And then how is that different from All Souls Day? Yes, the next day, November 2nd, is the commemoration of all the faithful departed, All Souls Day. And it's a day where we especially remember our beloved dead 
and we pray in particular for the souls in purgatory. As you know, there's when we speak of the communion of saints and the church, there are the saints in heaven, there are the souls in purgatory, and then there are those of us on earth, the pilgrim church. Mm -hmm. So we can refer to the church in purgatory as we sometimes will say the suffering souls because there's a purification going on in mm -hmm. preparation for entrance into heaven. All those in purgatory do go to heaven. And uh, so it's a day where we especially pray for the faithful departed, remembering those who are still undergoing this process of purification. And with All Saints tomorrow, first of all, it's a holy day of obligation? That's correct. And so don't forget to go to Mass tomorrow or the vigil tonight? Or the vigil tonight, exactly. Okay. And as we celebrate these saints, I thought maybe it'd be interesting for you to share. It's, it's always been enjoyable for me whenever you talk about the saints and some that you find interesting. Maybe if you could pick a couple saints that uh, maybe we are familiar with, maybe we aren't, but to learn a little bit more about them that and why you enjoy or invoke them for, for prayer. Kind of like my favorite saints. Sure. I have about... <laughs> 50. Okay. <laughs> um, you just draw them out of a hat. Okay. We'll, put, we'll put well, all 50 of them in there and you yeah. can just pick Well, so. I'll start with the one that I chose as my confirmation name. A lot uh -huh. of times you, our uh, young people at confirmation say, Bishop, who did you choose as your confirmation name? Yeah. And uh, it's St. John the Apostle. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that on, on Redeemer, but mm -hmm. when I was in seventh grade, I remember choosing St. John the Apostle as my confirmation name because I thought, well, He's Jesus's best friend. Yeah. And I want to be Jesus's best friend, so I chose St. John. Uh -huh. um, pretty simple. I mean, he's called the beloved disciple in the Gospel of John. And of course, since then, I've learned so much more. I mean, studying in the seminary, studying scripture and the Gospel and the letters of John and the book of Revelation, which he wrote, mm. I kind of thought, wow, I'm glad I chose him. Amazing theological insights. Probably. I'd say the books of the New Testament that have the greatest depth of getting into the mysteries of our faith. Mm. So, as you know, the Gospel of John is often represented by an eagle because an eagle soars, and the Gospel of John kind of soars above the others huh. in its theological depth. In any event, I would say that there's a few other things about St. John that I think attract me quite a bit, sitting next to Jesus at the Last Supper, obviously, resting his head on on our Lord's chest, but I would say his presence at the foot of the cross and that he's the one to whom our Lord entrusted his mother hmm. and entrusted him to his mother and her to him. So there's just something, I love to meditate on that scene of Mary and John at the foot of the cross and Jesus leaving us as one of his last gifts before he died, the gift of his mother to be our spiritual mother, mm -hmm. because John represents all of us at the foot of the cross. And I remember once um, when I went on a pilgrimage to Ephesus, <laughs> and they have the house there where reputedly John took care of Mary, that, that they went to Ephesus. And that was a really special place uh, to visit. And on that same trip, we visited uh, the island of Patmos and the cave where John wrote the book of Revelation, and wow. I got an icon there that I have in my house of him like sleeping there, receiving the visions that are contained in the book of Revelation. <laughs> um, 
I also think, I mean, when you think about St. John, I mean, what he wrote is, um, is incredible. I mean, in the, I mean, he begins the gospel with that amazing, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Mm-hmm. And then later on in verse 14 of chapter 1, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, just incredible truths of our faith that, that come to us from St. John. And in his letters, I mean, how often he, you know, the theme of love is so prominent in the gospel, but also in his letters. The farewell discourse of Jesus is amazing. And, you know, it's through John that we know that the washing of the feet at the Mm. Last Supper of the disciples by Jesus. But it's said that near the end of his life, he would continually be saying, love one another, love one another. That's all he would say. And um, so he had this, I would say, mystical experience of Christ's love. And he's the one who gave us that famous statement that God is love. Right. And, uh, and he who abides in God abides in him. So, I mean, there's just so many great treasures, but with St. John the Apostle and the Evangelist. Other saints, I, I think I would mention two because there are two that that I met in my life. And uh, when I met both of them, I knew they were saints. Everyone, Mm -hmm. I mean, you could just, you just knew you were in the presence of someone who was very close to God. And that, of course, you can guess, St. John Paul II and St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Mm -hmm. I mean, I still kind of marvel at the fact that I met and spoke with two canonized saints. I, mean, I never would have imagined that because you usually think of saints of, you know, so long ago, or I never would have thought that in my lifetime I would have met and spoke with two people who are canonized saints of the church. But they were really heroes of mine mm-hmm. um, as a seminarian and as a priest and now as a bishop. I learned so much from both of them. I'll never forget the conversations that I had with both of them and the experiences. I probably met John Paul five or six times, well, no, maybe more, seven or eight times, and Mother Teresa probably the same. And I know I spoke about that a little bit on this show. But what I've learned from them, I mean, from John Paul, basically, he taught me what it means to be a priest and a bishop. Hmm. Certainly, I was formed intellectually by his philosophical and theological teachings. That was very prominent even today when I preach or teach. I was very much formed by John Paul. The other thing is just his life of prayer, his, his love for the priesthood, his devotion to the Eucharist, his devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. I mean, I could go on and on about all the great qualities of John Paul, but also his courage, his courage as a teacher, preacher of the faith, and then his great modeling of what it means to be a good shepherd. Certainly his travels around the world, World Youth Days, I mean, he just energized the church everywhere he went. Hmm. Um, and of course, we know about the downfall of, of uh, Soviet Union and communism in Eastern Europe. Uh, a lot of that was under the spiritual impulse of, of John Paul II. So there's many, many things, many, many virtues. Uh, I think also how much the whole world learned from him those last years of his life when he carried the cross of suffering with such um, 
really, again, with such fortitude and courage, really was an example to all the world. It was no surprise that at his funeral, people would cry out, Santo Subito, make him a saint right away. <laughs> um, and how many young people were attracted to him and his message. Mother Teresa was a close friend of John Paul. Mm -hmm. um, and um, most of the times I met her, I did talk and meet with her once in Washington, D.C., but uh, that was actually my longest time with her. I spent about an hour in conversation with Mother in Washington. But the times that I met her in Rome, she was there to visit with Pope John Paul. So two amazing gifts to the church in the 20th century. But I think what inspired me about her, similar to John Paul, her, the depth of her own uh, spiritual life, her closeness to Jesus and Mary, I mean, her love for the poor, the poorest of the poor, of course, that's what she's famous for, but all that was based in her deep spiritual life, her love for the Eucharist, but also what she taught us about the dignity of every human life. And it wasn't just in words, but in action. Mm -hmm. And then the amazing work of the Missionaries of Charity, the religious congregation that she founded. So her mission continues today through them. I would also mention they both had to suffer, but they both exuded the joy of the gospel. They both had beautiful smiles, and, um, and really they accepted the cross, and they followed Christ to the end. It always amazes me when there's two saints that kind of, I, I like to call them buddy saints. <laughs> you see like <laughs> these pairs of saints or groups of saints. You're St. Pope John Paul II and St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, uh, like St. Francis and St. Clair and, and things like that. But uh, it, it's, just, it's neat to see these modern saints and you, you being able to spend time with them, I'm sure has had such an influence on you as a bishop. Reminder for people that the four steps to canonization are a servant of God, venerable, blessed, and then a canonized saint. Is there any current blesseds that you would hope to see become saints soon? You know, one is a priest, Blessed Miguel Pro in okay. Mexico, who I'm kind of surprised he's not a saint yet. He was one that was... Um, when the church was being persecuted in the 1920s, priests were being killed, etc. He went into hiding and actually continued his priestly ministry, but he disguised himself and was able to go to different people's homes to give them the sacraments. And they have that famous picture of him when he was actually being martyred, you know, mm -hmm. which we don't, how many times have we seen a photographic image of a person being martyred right. with his hands outstretched in the shape of a cross as they shot him to death. And he cried out his last words, the rallying cry of the, of the Cristeros, those who were fighting the government, Viva Cristo Rey, long live Christ the King. Mm -hmm. And I remember I, had, I was on a pilgrimage to Mexico and visited and prayed at his tomb, but celebrated mass in the church where he's buried. And that was several years ago. So I'm, I'm kind of... Um, yeah, it's, he's someone that I, I'm really looking forward to his canonization. That's the first one that came to mind. I'd have to think about it a little bit. The foundress of the Sisters of St. Francis of Perpetual Adoration, uh -huh. you know, we have the Mother House in Mishawaka. I went with the sisters to her beatification several years ago in Germany. Her name is Blessed Mother Maria Theresia Banzel. Okay. And um, I love her life and have studied, you know, I've read about her life, read a biography, and sisters have such great devotion to her. She really also combined, like Mother Teresa, the active and the contemplative life. 
I would love to see her mm-hmm. uh, canonize the saint. We recently had the foundress of the Poor Handmaids of Jesus Christ canonized. And their provincial house is in Donaldson. As a matter of fact, I think it's this Sunday I'll be celebrating Mass there at Ancilla Chapel, uh, at Mass and Thanksgiving for her canonization. And then the other one who has a connection to our diocese, who's a blessed, is Blessed Basil Moreau, hmm. the founder of the Congregation of the Holy Cross, uh, the congregation that staffs you know, Notre Dame and mm-hmm. uh, St. Mary's College and Holy Cross College and a lot of those priests who are serving in our parishes in South Bend and surrounding area. I've read a lot of his spiritual writings and... Um, I've developed a devotion to Blessed Basil Moreau, so I'd love to see him canonize the saint. The Congregation of Holy Cross has one canonized saint so far, that's Saint Andre Bassett, mm-hmm. Brother Andre. But I would love to see their founder, Basil Moreau, canonized someday, hopefully within within my lifetime. All right. Well, reminder, go to Mass tonight or tomorrow for All Saints Day. And coming up, I want to talk about Dia de los Muertes, the movie Coco, which talks about that a little bit in the movie. It's a main plot point of the movie. And get into questions asked by you, the listener, right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, here with our bishop and... Today is a day that some would celebrate a feast called Dia de los Muertes or Day of the Dead. And I watched the movie Coco with my kids and I actually just rewatched it last night so I could have this fresh in my mind because Dia de los Muertes is a central plot point to the movie. And in the movie, just to kind of give it some background for you, Bishop, and anybody that hasn't seen it. I think it's fairly accurate to what I've read as, as some of the ways that people celebrate Dia de los Muertes, where they put an image of their loved one up on, a, on an altar as an ofrenda. And it's not uh, as a place of worship, but it's to remember our dead loved ones. And by doing that on Dia de los Muertes, it gives the dead relative an opportunity to come back to earth. And it's kind of depicted in the movie that this is something that they really want. And uh, it's also, they're, they're not necessarily in heaven or hell or purgatory. They're in the land of the dead. And once somebody stops putting up ofrendas, they can no longer come back to earth on Dia de los Muertes. Once all of the family and friends forget them completely, then they disappear from the land of the dead. And nobody in the land of the dead seems to know where they go after that. The movie is actually very cute and it's got a nice storyline to it but it seems to have some theological uh, (laughs) errors in it from a Catholic standpoint. And I was kind of curious what your understanding of De Los Muertes is and how it maybe could work with Catholicism and where it might clash with Catholicism. That's a good question. Dia de los Muertos is, um, it really has its origins in pre-Christian, pre-Columbian times in uh, Mesoamerica, mm-hmm. Mexico, and and Central and Latin America. So, the Aztecs, for exa- example, would have festivals, as would other indigenous peoples, in which they would remember the dead and and you know do things like you mentioned, where they might try to call back the souls of the dead to earth. Mm-hmm. When the the Spanish came, this was quite common. And of course, it had pagan elements to what they celebrated. They didn't believe in one God, etc. Mm. 
But what, as what happens, in, and we've seen that we saw this in the evangelization of Ireland and evangelization of Germany, when the church arrives to proclaim the gospel of Christ, it just doesn't come and, and destroy some of these native customs or festivals, but, but tries to purify them with the light of faith. Okay. So, I mean, you can even look at some of our other Christian Catholic traditions that have been adapted, and so we could say Christianized, mm-hmm. like the Christmas tree mm-hmm. was, was there before the Christians arrived, and it wasn't, it was, had other meaning. But so the idea of Christianizing some of these formerly pagan observances, and I think that's what happened because the Aztecs, for example, they celebrated the dead in the month of August. Well, the Spanish missionaries and the Spanish moved it to the Catholic holidays of All Saints Day and All Souls Day. Okay. And basically, I guess you could say, baptize these customs. Right. Um, and when they're celebrated, of course, we have to be careful that some of the superstitious or false elements are, are not there. But, but the good stuff is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the traditions connected have been now connected to the church's observance of All Saints Day on November 1st and All Souls Day on November 2nd. And actually, if you celebrate Dia de los Muertos, it's really a couple days. It's not just one day. November 1st is a day dedicated to children, so children who have died, and it's called Dia de los Inocentes. Oh, okay. In Spanish, the Day of the Innocent. The actual Dia de los Muertos is November 2nd, All Souls Day. And that's when they actually remember de- the deceased adults of the family. And it's a very much a family-centered celebration in the home. Often on those days, either El Dia de los Muertos itself, November 2nd, or the days preceding, they will visit the graves of their departed loved ones, and often they'll repair them. If there's any repairs needed to the tombstone or, Hmm. you know, whatever, they will light candles. Sometimes they'll leave prepared foods, like the favorite foods of the departed loved one. They'll leave that there. And... um, and of course, they'll, they'll pray. And it's not a, a gloomy kind of thing. They'll play music, maybe even dance. Mm-hmm. So it's a celebration of the love of their departed and their hope in their eternal life. And then also, it's celebrated in the home where they'll have private altars, as you mentioned. And at those, they'll have not just a photo or a picture of the deceased loved one, but again, they, they might have their favorite foods there, favorite drinks. I've been at one where they had tequila. Uh (laughs) um, I mean, it can get very um, festive, I guess you could say. (laughs) Um, It's celebrated not only by Mexicans. I think that's the most common, but I think in other countries, Latin America as well. Now, there's some parts of it. You know, I mentioned about uh, the deceased children. Mm -hmm. Um, They'll even bring toys or like the favorite toys of the deceased child. Okay. Um, and then on these altars, the ofrendas, there's some traditional things that they'll put. There's what's called pan de muerto, which is a, a bread of the dead. Huh. Um, they'll have sugar skulls. In other words, they'll have skeletal skulls uh-huh. made out of sugar. Yeah. Um, as kind of a treat, I guess, for the children. You know, I've been in homes where they'll have a little, it'd be like a little shrine. They'll have 
pictures of the Blessed Virgin Mary or statues there together with the pictures of their deceased loved ones, a lot of candles. And in some places, they'll, you know, they'll tell stories, they'll remember their deceased loved ones. And of course, they'll pray. Mm -hmm. Some will pray the rosary or whatever. Where it's really celebrated in a big way, like where the community might get together, they'll have like parades and stuff. And one of the things is skeletal masks or even painting their face Mm -hmm. or half the face as a skeleton. And when I first saw that, I thought, oh, this isn't a you know, I, I kind of didn't think it was very Christian, but at the same time, I kind of, it's its almost like not being afraid of death. I yeah. think sometimes it's kind of like St. Paul said, oh, death, where is your sting? Right. You know, it's kind of like Paul, but St. Paul was mocking death. Yeah. And I think in some, because Christ is victorious over death. So I kind of think of that sometimes. It's uh, when I think of Dia de los Muertos, it's kind of maybe mocking death to an extent. I mean, there's other people who know much more about how all this developed than I do, but I think this gives our people a uh, an idea. I, I do always recommend, especially when I served in Hispanic ministry, to encourage people not just to do those celebrations, but to come to Mass mm-hmm. on All Saints Day and All Souls Day. But I think people from different villages may celebrate it a little differently, depending on where they're from, and you know, all different kinds of customs that get passed down. Yeah. And in the United States now, with so many of our Hispanic brothers and sisters, especially from Mexico, mm-hmm. we see this celebration being passed on and continued. So, a couple things. One is after hearing you pronounce it correctly, I realized I think I was combining the word of death and Tuesday together. Well, you know what the difference? No, no. You were saying uh, Dia de los Muertes. Uh-huh. Muerte is death. Okay. Muerto is dead. Okay. So the dead. Dia de los Muertos is the day of the dead. You were saying day of death. Okay. Uh, not too far off. Or you were actually saying day of deaths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Well, I'm glad that you are able to correct me there. Uh, the second thing, I, I think what I'm hearing and what you're describing is there is definitely a spiritual and Catholic aspect to this of prayer and recognizing and remembering those that have gone before us. Uh, there's maybe a, a harmless aspect of celebration and a little bit of festivities and joy that goes with it. And then there's maybe a slightly dangerous side of superstition and false theology that we would maybe need to be careful of. Is that? Do you think for those that might uh, be practicing one of these more uh, a pagan version of Dia de los Muertos, muer- that's right, Muertos, is that dangerous or is it fairly harmless if they're kind of maybe passing on some bad theology to their kids? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like Halloween. I mean, now Dia de los Muertos isn't Halloween, obviously, but you know how Halloween can be either harmless or it could, I guess, I think most of the time it would be harmless, Mm -hmm. you know, but I think there's always perhaps that if someone got into, uh, through Halloween, got into some kind of, uh, what do you call it? uh, Witchcraft and things like that. That would be wrong. So... I think there are some people I've read who, who don't like Dia de los Muertos, and they say, mm-hmm. no, no, it's pagan, you shouldn't do it. 
but I don't agree with that. I think it's mostly harmless. Okay. Um, I think it can actually, if you, it depends on the family. Mm-hmm. You could make it a really uh, occasion for, for prayer and re- loving remembrance of loved ones, a very good thing. And I think too, as I said, you know, there are a lot of things, for example, in Ireland, I have some, you know, I'm part Irish. There were things that the pagan Celts did that we have kind of Christianized. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, even associated with St. Patrick, the shamrock, and other things. Mm-hmm. Um, the church doesn't go in and, you know, we don't destroy cultures. You know, I mean, there are parts of cultures that are really good, and they can be Christianized. So, the church has always done that, and it's an effective way to evangelize. You mentioning St. Paul's death is where's your sting, and this kind of mocking of, of death, and, and maybe even trying not to to fear it as much, which a lot of people do fear death. Is there like kind of a, a proper fear of death or should we not be afraid of death? Is that something that we should celebrate and even look forward to our death? You know what? That's a, a, a really deep question, Kyle, but it's an important question. I think it is something natural to fear death. Mm-hmm. Fear is an emotion and there is a certain unknown I remember once St. John Paul, I think he was going in for surgery when he had colon cancer, and they asked him if he was afraid to die. Uh And he said, very honestly, yes. And I thought, wow, I wasn't expecting him to say yes. But, But at the same time, it wasn't something that he remained in fear, no. In other words, we also have trust in Christ's victory over death. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that fear, I mean, you look at the saint, Saint Therese, the little flower, you see the development of her faith in some of her writings where she wrote about being afraid to die. But then in time, you see how that fear lessened and lessened to the point where near the end of her life, as her fear of death diminished, I think it was right before she died that she was almost anxious to die to Hmm. be with Jesus. So I think what I would say is part of our spiritual life, there are people who naturally fear perhaps the pain and agony Mm -hmm. that may precede death. I think that's very normal. There's a certain uncertainty about death. There's some fear of, of the judgment. But then we also grow in confidence of God's mercy and face death with hope more than fear. So I think it is a process. But what gives me hope is that even great saints struggled with this fear of death. And it's natural because of our fallen nature. But then we overcome the fear because we see the hand that reaches out to us, who loves us, who has redeemed us. And that's what gives us the strength and the courage to face death and to overcome at least somewhat that fear. I also think of another great saint, St. Teresa of Avila, who is one of my favorite spiritual writers. She also had this fear of death when you read her, her writings, but then she had a vision of heaven and it put that fear into perspective. And hmm. you know, she said, wow, it's worth enduring any and all suffering to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So the fear of death shouldn't paralyze us, shouldn't consume us. We turn to Christ who has conquered death. And here's where our faith comes in. Um, 
So I hope that helps. And another thing that might help the listeners, you know, there's so much in Scripture that's good for us to meditate on when we're thinking about death. And it is, it's, it's good to think about death. <laughs> I mean, in our culture, sometimes people don't even want to talk about it. You know, there's this aversion to thinking about it or talking about it. But I think of things like St. Paul wrote, if we've been united with Christ in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You know, do we believe that? And um, and I remember a quote by St. Gregory the Great, Pope St. Gregory the Great, and I think this sums it all up. He said, our Redeemer took death upon him that we might not be afraid to die. He showed us his own resurrection that we might have hope that we too shall rise again. In addition to praying for our loved ones, which is something that we can and should be doing, uh, another practice is to have masses said for our dead loved ones. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you think is on the decline, that people aren't having masses said for their family members as, as much as they maybe used to? I think it is on a decline. I think uh, we need to reinvigorate because there's no greater prayer that we can offer for our deceased loved one than, than the prayer of Jesus, mm. the holy sacrifice of the Mass. So I encourage people, I think that's a, a beautiful gift to give to someone, is uh, a Mass offered for them and their intentions. All right. Well, if you have any questions for Bishop, you can ask it by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we have questions about feast days that fall on days of fasting and more on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and I'm going to be asking some questions that you have submitted. Before we do, I had one other question about, we've been talking about death and All Saints Day, All Souls Day. Is dying a blessing or a curse? Well, death, if we look at death, it's a curse. Hmm. It's a curse that we bear. Doesn't scripture teach us the wages of sin is death? Okay. So, in other words... God created us originally to live, Mm -hmm. um, not to die. So in this way, death is a curse. It's an enemy, we could say. It's our mortal enemy. But it has become a blessing because of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. In other words, because he... His death redeemed us and opened the gates of heaven for us. So he changed death from being a curse to being a blessing. And if we are united to him in his death, we are promised a share in his resurrection. So death is now the door that we enter to glory. Hmm. Um, So uh, this great enemy of humanity, death, has been conquered by Jesus by his own resurrection from the dead. He proclaimed this himself. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Mm -hmm. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And that's in the Gospel of John chapter 11. And then as we were talking about earlier, I love that when St. Paul mocks death. Death, where is your sting? Because Christ conquered death. He's made it 
from being a, changed it from being a loss to a great gain. The great gain, of course, is eternal joy and peace in heaven, life forever, eternal life with the Lord in heaven. And that's, I think, what um, you know is the foundation of our Christian hope. So it's good to think about that, especially the month of November. Mm-hmm. Not just All Souls Day, but throughout the month of November, we, we remember in our prayers our loved ones who have died, and we shouldn't be afraid to talk about it. Yeah. We shouldn't be afraid to talk about death. I know it's hard. You know, it's, you know, people don't want to think about it, especially in our culture. We're all beings who exist toward death. I uh-huh. mean, it's, what we, it's, it's part of reality. Some will say, oh, death is just natural. I don't really think that's true. Hmm. It, it, yes, okay, we all have to die, but to call it natural, it wasn't there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about it, in creation, death entered the world only after original sin. Hmm. Death as we know it, which is corruption of the body, separation of soul and body, etc. So I'm a little uh, uneasy when they speak of, oh, it's just something natural. It's, it's something that wasn't there in God's original plan. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for that. Father Dave Vores, pastor at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish in Fort Wayne, says, Thanks, Bishop, for taking this question. The U.S. bishops have asked us to voluntarily abstain from meat on Fridays. The question, as a pastor, if a feast day lands on a Friday, like the Exaltation of the Cross this year, may I, as a pastor, offer a comment at Mass such as, If you are normally abstaining from meat on Fridays, as the U.S. bishops have asked, one may eat meat today, joining with the church in celebration of today's great feast. Seeking your pastoral wisdom. Thanks. God bless. Oh, thanks, Father Dave. It's really up to the person, although I would not make an announcement like that for a feast day, because I think a regular feast day, if you look at the level of of the different feasts of the church, normally one would not stop fasting on a feast day. Now, if it was a solemnity, which Mm. is higher than a feast day, I think that's different. Okay. Okay, so I would make a distinction between a feast and a solemnity. For example, during Lent, we have a couple solemnities. The solemnity of the Annunciation will often take place during Lent. You know, it's March 25th, or the Solemnity of St. Joseph, March 19th. So, could one be excused from fasting on those days? I would say yes, but it's up to the person. They can still voluntarily decide. It's like Sundays. One could still voluntarily fast on Sundays or on the Solemnity of the Annunciation or the Solemnity of St. Joseph. But one could also very legitimately say, well, today is a solemnity, so I'm not going to fast. Okay. So, Solemnities, we feast no matter what. And then feast days that are not solemnities, then it's optional? Yeah. I mean, there's no, I mean. But mostly. You're allowed to fast on a solemnity. (laughs) I mean, I I I guess I'm sorry if this is getting complicated. (laughs) I mean, no one's prohibited from fasting on a solemnity. But if one is, this is just my opinion, it'd be very legitimate and actually make sense not to fast on a solemnity. But I wouldn't apply that to a feast because a feast is lower than a solemnity. Okay. It, it's not as, as great a, uh, on the liturgical calendar. But this is just my opinion, so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I like it. 
You can ask your questions by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we'll talk about Bishop's favorite ice cream. And I have a surprise for Bishop. Coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, asking the questions that you've submitted for Bishop to answer. And our next question comes from Father Eric Bergner, parochial vicar at St. Pius X in Granger, who asks, when you go to Dairy Queen, what size <laughs> and type of ice cream do you get? Kyle, this is like a pattern. Every time we get a question from Father Eric, it's about food. <laughs> we will Tell have him a... this isn't a cooking show. <laughs> that would be a good um, Father Eric, I I, I, he's great. Uh, <laughs> wow, when I go to Dairy Queen, it's been a long time, Father Eric, since I've been to Dairy Queen. You were probably there last week. Uh, but um, I would order a banana split. Okay. I like, uh, yep, banana split would what I, I would order at Dairy Queen. I haven't had a banana split in a long time. It's vanilla, ice cream, and chocolate. Yeah, usually. Or... I mean, it could be made different ways. Okay. The Dairy Queen ones, and this is a while back, so <laughs> you could ask for what kind of ice cream I think you wanted in it. Okay. But then there'd be nuts on it, and sometimes, like, we would get it with, like, one of the, there'd be, like, three scoops of ice cream. One might have chocolate, another caramel, another whatever, uh-huh. topping, and different kinds of nuts, and, and then the banana. Okay. So, pineapple sometimes. Uh, yeah. No, I love those. Well, speaking of food, I don't know if you remember this, Bishop, last week we talked about the parable of the fig tree. Yes. And we were talking about if you liked figs or not. And you talked about fig newtons. Yes. How do you feel about figs? I like figs. Okay. And I think they're good for you, right? (laughs) Well, let's go with it. I used to love fig newtons. Uh Yeah. I haven't had them for a while. All right. Well, maybe a future episode of Truth and Charity <laughs> have some figs and some fig newtons. So my question is, which do you like better, fig newtons or figs? And so I've got both of them for you to try here. Oh, my goodness. You've never had a fig before? I have. Oh, you have had a fig. Yes. Okay. But between the two, I like the fig newtons more. Okay. Well, But I like figs, too. I don't know if I've wow, ever had thank a fig. you. Did you ever have a fig? I don't. I don't think so. Well, you have a fig, Kyle, and I'll have a fig Newton. Oh, so you're not even going to try the figs? No, no, I'll try one. Oh, okay. Um, actually, it'd be healthier just to have the fig rather than the fig Newton. Uh-huh. <laughs> These are dried figs. I don't know how easy it is to get fresh figs here in the United States. Probably have to go somewhere. I, I really, I think you can, but I depends on the store. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't. You get can't get, get it open. Here, let me try. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that is hard. We need scissors. I think I got it. You never had a fig. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, we had a, a trip to the Holy Land that Redeemer Radio did, and I think they brought back figs mm. with them, and I had them then. This you know, is good. I haven't go, had a fig Newton in ages. Fig Newton. A few fig. years. I wonder where they get the figs from the fig Newtons. Mm. It tastes like a fig Newton almost. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have the amount of sugar. They must. Right. Or put syrup in them or whatever. Just started to get it. 
All right. So which one do you like better then? The fig or the fig Newton? The dried fig, I should say. The dried fig. I mm -hmm. mean, as far as, because they're healthier. Mm -hmm. As far as taste, I love the fig Newtons. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Bishop, for another episode of Truth and Charity. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome. Join us next Wednesday at noon for another new episode of Truth and Charity to hear more about what Bishop calls one of the best-kept secrets in the church, Catholic social teaching. Find out what it means and how we can live it within our communities. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Right. You've had these, right? No, that's okay. Marion, try one. They're delicious. <laughs> Nate. Nate. Everybody tries a fig. Come on, Miriam. They're very good. It looks like a mushroom. Mm-hmm. Aren't they good? Nate likes it. <laughs> In Italy, we would get these quite a bit. Really? Mm-hmm. It's like a giant raisin. Mm-hmm. All right get all the figs out of my teeth? Yes. <laughs>